You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rinchler, episode 89. We start asking them about those things. After all, a lot about coaching is working with our clients to set goals. The goals should be realistic. We ask the kind of questions that kind of open up their mind to what is possible. What is it they can do? What will it take to do it? What actions do they need to take? What experiments do they need to take? They are enthusiastic about coaching, which is a little different from, let's say, boomers who might be a little dubious at times. Mm-hmm. But our role as coaches is to guide them in finding their own way, setting their own boundaries, creating the world they want to inherit, but with a little dose of realism that doesn't come from us lecturing, but rather asking questions about the reality that they're living in. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, Take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Meg Rinchler. It is wonderful to have you with us. And this week, we are going to honor one of our past guests by re-listening to her show. Many of you may have listened to the show on Coaching Through Generational Change with Judy Feld. Judy has recently been recognized by the ICF for her achievement and contribution to the world of coaching by being invited into the Circle of Distinction. Now, the Circle of Distinction was just launched earlier this year, and it celebrates the very best of the coaching profession and the ICF. The people who were invited to join the Circle of Distinction are experienced coach practitioners who have really made their mark on the ICF and the coaching profession as a whole. And Judy is just one of six total coaches in the entire world who have been invited into the circle of distinction. Judy is an executive coach with obviously a very highly regarded reputation worldwide. She is a past ICF president. She is one of the founders of the North Texas chapter, which is the first ever chapter in the world for the ICF. She served on the ICF board of directors, has been an active mentor coach for over 20 years, and her credentials just go on and on. And she joined the show over a year ago to talk about generational change and how we can coach towards generational change in corporate America, in organizations to help organizations be more effective in responding to generational change and coaching across the generations. So I wanted to bring this episode back to the forefront 
to honor Judy, to thank her for her contribution to coaching, and to help all of you reconnect with her brilliance. So let's go to the interview that we did with Judy Feld around coaching across generations. I want to welcome Judy Feld to the show. Judy was one of my instructors when I was going through coach training. She also was my mentor coach for a while and um, is just one of those coaching minds that has so much wisdom to share. And she's been kind enough to join us today to share some information about coaching across generational change. Thank you, Judy, for joining us. Well, it's great to be here with you, Meg, and I do want to say that we do have quite a long history in coach years with each other. Um, Yes, there was a coaching relationship, and then I was an instructor, and now I consider you a valued peer. Well, thank you, and I am so excited for the audience to be able to hear some of the work that you've done around generational change and how that impacts the coaching relationship, how it impacts organizations. So just in general, if you were to give us an overview of what what is, so why should we care about generational change? Uh, We're really looking for insights and not just for coaches in our relationships with our clients, but insights for leaders and corporations as they're uh, doing their resource planning and as they are trying to optimize the leadership and the uh, basic performance of all the people there. We're not trying to label people or, or make general statements that we believe are true for everybody, but just to understand where our curiosity where our curiosity should lead us. What kinds of questions should we ask people based on their early experiences, based on their history, based on the way they approach problems, based on the way they communicate. And we found, and we've been talking about this for almost 10 years now, that we have certain patterns that we've noticed across generations based on the year people were born. And I'll define those very quickly in a moment, but I do want to say that It is that birth date rather than the age because someone who is age 27 in 2017, born in uh, born in 1990, is going to be very different from historically what a 27-year-old was like who was born in the 1970s. So we're looking for clues, in effect, to get a greater understanding of the people we interact with, the people we work with, the people we manage, and, you know, everyone else that's important in our lives. Excellent. So what are some of the generational differences uh, based upon birth year that you're seeing? Well, I'll do a quick definition of what has been a, a typical layout for the generations and understanding that authors vary uh, in how they define it by a few years in either direction. But what I have gone by, and this really seems to fit a pattern, uh, the silent generation or traditionalists were born before 1946. And we may say, well, why are we even worrying about them? Because they're not in the workplace, but they are. Mm-hmm. People are working longer and longer or starting businesses at 
at, old, at older ages. And so we still have, let's call it a half generation, the silent generation born before 1946. We have the baby boomers between 1946 and 1964, and much has been written about them and their oh, tendencies to um, like structure. Sometimes they're called workaholics. Lots of interesting interactions with the next generation, Gen Xers, born between 1965 and 1980. And then come the millennials, the famous millennials, sometimes called Generation Y, born after 1981. And that's what people are paying attention to right now in greater and greater numbers. And I have seen statistics in a number of places that say millennials will be 75% of the workforce in less than a decade. We really need to understand them. And they are different from their parents, the older Gen X and the younger baby boomers. And also, interestingly enough, and a lot of this is based on the approach to technology, different from uh, the generation that's coming after them, born in the new millennium. Uh, they're often called Gen Z. I'm not sure what name will evolve. Where that came we, from, yeah. But we, we, we hear that a lot, and they may get a cuter name as time goes on. Um, and it, it, it is interesting because there's even kind of subtext here. How will Gen Z get along with Gen X? We say, why are we worry, worrying about them? Um, the oldest ones are... 16 years old because four years from now, they'll graduate from college or, mm -hmm. or five years from now or six years from now, be in the workplace with a very different mindset because they have always been connected. Social media is like breathing. They have had devices. They've had computers since they were born. And you say, well, since they were born, what, what were they doing as babies? Two-year-olds are on computers now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My, my early 20-year-old was on a computer at age four. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and my 19-year-old was certainly doing the same. So um, what, does those, what do those kinds of things tell us about their values and the kinds of choices that they might make? Well, I think one example will be a certain rebellion among millennials. And you say, well, what kind of rebellion? Because now we have something else that's coming in. And this is what I meant about changes. Um, there's something called uh, Generation Oregon Trail. Have you ever heard of that? No, Generation Oregon Trail. Oregon no. Trail. Okay. And, and this is kind of illustrative of a lot of other things that are going on. Uh, I, I just heard about this recently from a client of mine who is an older millennial. And so then I did some research and pulled some articles, and apparently they are not satisfied. And these, these are um, the people that were born at the end of the 70s and the start of the 80s, just at that cusp between uh, millennials and Gen X. Mm -hmm. And they are saying that we are not like them. We are more responsible. We have um, different approaches to things. And so, uh, you know, here, here's a quote from one of the articles by someone, and I'll tell you in a moment where Oregon Trail came from. Um, 
it says, we are an enigma, those of us born at the tail end of the 70s and the start of the 80s. Some of the generational experts lazily glob us onto Generation X, and others just shove us over to the millennials they love to hate. That's interesting. That's this one person's point of view. That is interesting, that love to hate, um, almost animosity implied. That's what they're feeling. And, of course, we've heard that. They're entitled. Everyone gets a trophy. Their parents are helicopter parents. These have become almost cliched phrases. And the, the, um, the quote ends with, no one really gets us or knows where we belong. Well, I think it's great that coaches have the ability to, quote, get them or know where they belong. Mm-hmm. And, and so the Oregon Trail um, generation is a name that was given to these people based on the video game Oregon Trail, which was played um, by kids um, in, in, in this the, age range. In this age range. And so it's clunky. It, it's not cool like the current video games. But they started with video games. And these late millennials have that experience. Um, I'm sorry, the older millennials. Different from the younger millennials who have always had all of these amazingly high-tech games, connections, social media, everything else. They were in the cusp. So they want to be understood differently and according to what I've been finding out. And so once my client, who was teaching me at this time, I started to ask him different questions. And I was getting greater insight into what our topic was related to his career planning. As, as he, uh, you know, was looking toward his future and leadership. And so, you know, I think if we let our curiosity take charge here and try to learn and find out as coaches, we will soon be able to almost shortcut the understanding that our clients can get from what is it that coaches help them get inside. Mm-hmm. helps them understand their choices, their decisions, their values, which are very important toward the kinds of choices they make. So on the one hand, using the information that we can glean from these generational differences to work with our clients and at the same time staying very curious about each individual client and what their goals are, being able to make a nice blend between information that we have and continuing to stay curious and ask those questions. Yes, and and, and it really does help to take a look at some general statements about the generations before we even factor in the subtleties of how Generation Z will change, even though they're still kids now, Mm -hmm. uh, and and what's coming up with with this kind of offshoot, uh, the Oregon Trail uh, generation. I was really surprised I'd never heard of it. And now, if if you start looking for it, you'll see lots of things there. Um, would Would you like me to go over some of the traits of some of these generations? Oh, certainly. And and when you go over those traits, sort of working in how, as a coach, you find that these traits are helpful in your work. Okay. Um, shall we start with the youngest or the oldest? You know what? Let's start with the youngest since we started with the oldest when we started. Okay. Um, 
the millennials or Gen Y. So they grew up with their parents telling them and everyone else reinforcing they could be anyone, do anything, have anything they wanted. Uh, they happen to be self-confident. Uh, they happen to be inclusive. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're adaptable, but they're also somewhat entitled. They like collaboration. They like teamwork. So when we're working with someone who seems to fit that trait, we start asking them about those things. After all, a lot about coaching is working with our clients to set goals. The goals should be realistic. We ask the kind of questions that kind of open up their mind to what is possible. What is it they can do? What will it take to do it? What actions do they need to take? What experiments do they need to take? They are enthusiastic about coaching, which is a little different from, let's say, boomers who might be a little dubious at times. Mm-hmm. But our role as coaches is to guide them in finding their own way, setting their own boundaries, creating the world they want to inherit, but with a little dose of realism that doesn't come from us lecturing, but rather asking questions about the reality that they're living in. Excellent examples um, on, on how you would coach somebody in that generation. You talked about baby boomers being maybe a little dubious about coaching. Tell me more about that. Well, the ba- the baby boomers have have had this label about oh being workaholics and then they come up against their reality um, either midway or later on in their careers uh, they were beat up by downsizing right sizing competed fiercely among themselves to be open to coaching and and of course we're seeing as as um, executive business personal coaching becomes more known and more valued we're seeing less and less of this but the older baby boomers will say you know i've got to solve this myself Mm. Um, they may be deficient in work-life balance and and work too hard but they may also think that there is no choice so when we're speaking with the boomers at the beginning of a relationship, it's important to convey a a kind of understanding that working with a coach will be a good experience. It's a positive decision. And you've probably heard me say that uh, I don't think it's a good idea to work with anyone who is, quote, sentenced to coaching. Right, right. It needs to be a choice. And uh, we really want to explore their views toward what they want. But there needs to be a lot of conversation about the positive nature of it. And, you know, the agenda is set by the client. If it turns out that, uh, and, and I've had clients like this, they're not necessarily sentenced to coaching, but they're strongly encouraged to work with a coach because there is some perceived challenge either by the leaders in their organizations or by people that they work with. Um, and I have even said, and this is, this is a quote, that uh, working with me is not a punishment. It's a gift. And they laugh and the atmosphere changes. Right. Yeah. 
Right. And and I will agree. There's been many a time that I've said, you know, I want to congratulate you that your company is wanting to invest in you and wanting to invest in your partnership and coaching. Um, what wonderful things that says for the value that you bring to the company as well. Do you ever have anyone ask you, well, why do you think I need a coach? I've heard that. And what have you said in response to that? I said, it's not a matter of need. It's a matter of opportunity. And they're offering you this opportunity. I don't think that anyone you're working with would need a coach. But wow, you could sure benefit from a coach. Mm -hmm. Great answer. Which doesn't surprise me coming from you that it's a great answer. So what about the the generation previous to, to baby boomers, the silent generation? The older ones. Yes. They're still hanging on. Yes. And My husband works with many people in their 70s. And sometimes they are working for, um, they get along well with the boomers, but the Gen X baffle them. Okay. And and so there really has to be some open communication. And of course, somebody who is still in the workplace in a hierarchical organization really has a challenge to making those younger people who may be managing them feel comfortable. And so in a way, we're teaching them the kinds of coaching skills that would help them communicate. Uh, the thing about the silent generation or, or traditionalists is that they do believe in top-down management, loyalty, and institution. And this is, this is a separate observation from those who are running businesses, which that number is growing and growing. But what we can best do as coaches is help them understand the views of the other generations and the kind of generation gaps that we'd like to close through creating awareness. So a a good way to establish the good communication between a coach and a traditionalist client is to ask them what has worked for them in the past. Let them talk about successes, Mm -hmm. the approaches. Um, We fit our approach to their positive experience. Um, It's also possible uh, to emphasize what the coach has seen, you know, in our own experience with others that has worked rather than saying we're going to explore unique areas now that I've never encountered before. That would make them nervous. Okay. Yeah. So, Judy, we went directly from talking about the millennials into the baby boomers and and then the, the silent generation. So let's circle back now and include some of the characteristics about Gen X. Well, you know, there are those in Gen X who would point to this particular oversight on our part to coaches and say, that's what the world is doing to them. We're paying attention to uh, the millennials because they are kind of a dramatic generation and the baby boomers are really transitioning into retirement or non-retirement, but they are very vocal. And so here we are having to circle back, and Gen X might say, well, the world needs to circle back to us. That is an interesting uh, point for us all to, to be aware of, because that's a, you know, a, a large group of our workforce right now oh, yeah? that are feeling sort of overlooked. 
they're overlooked, but they're also moving into already or, or already ensconced in leadership. So, you know, they're, they're trying to kind of wrest leadership from the boomers who they are saying are staying too long. So, you know, part of the focus and, and the context of these generational points of view comes from what their early influences are. What were their experiences? And these are the children of the baby boomers. And they experienced a lot of turmoil in the 70s, 80s, 90s. They distrust big institutions. And mm. coaches, of course, um, are most effective, effective when there's trust between the client, the coach, the institution, groups, etc. So this is kind of a generation that treats jobs as rather temporary. Uh, no more of the, you know, long careers and then a smooth retirement. So, uh, you know, they also have watched their so-called workaholic boomer parents uh, burnout, fatigue, also a lot of divorce. Right, uh, maybe not have the time for family and work-life balance. Mm -hmm. But this, these Gen Xers, for the most part, in general, want a more stable family life and a more robust personal life, and they will avoid long hours, and they want to keep their personal and work life separate. So here we are working with them as coaches, needing to understand that they are, don't have the same priorities as those who are um, perhaps 20 years older than them. That, that is, so all of that works together um, toward understanding, and I really appreciate you giving us the characteristics of each of these generations in um, how we can see their perspective and, and help meet them where they are in the coaching. Yeah, and also, as we know in any coaching, with uh, all types of clients, the agenda belongs to the client. And particularly for the Gen Xers, they don't like authority and to be told things. Uh, they like dialogue, which makes them... Uh, possibly um, more appropriate coaching clients than those who are dubious about the kind of dialogue that coaches have with clients. So they need a lot of positive feedback. They need to know they're on the right track. So a coach may use some role playing because Gen Xers uh, enjoy that and also the opportunity to practice skills and get feedback and coaching on the spot. And then what about when you're working with organizations? How does the uh, concept of generation and the, the differences between generations, how does it impact organizations? Well, it, it's interesting because there are lots of aspects of leadership, optimizing people's performance that really have to do with 
talents or behavioral styles or motivators, but this new variable, and it's just one of many variables, is generations if they can understand how to bridge certain gaps. And so we talk about, and you know, one example among many is the approach to meetings. That's a multi-generational, usually a multi-generational event. Well, and I can also say from my clients, it's it's an event that occurs again and again, and, and many again. times too frequently. Um, hear often how how meetings are so impactful on a day, every day, day to day. Okay. Well, here's a quote from Forrester Consulting because they they did a survey um, that revealed, among other insights, quote: "The younger you are, the less you value meetings." and the less you pay attention. Mm. So if we're having a meeting and there is a team that needs to, you know, work on some common mission or come to some conclusion or generate some work product, everyone is going to be in a different environment in that same meeting. So they may not understand each other. We may have four generations in a coaching group. Teams are a special kind of group because they're kind of um, assigned or drafted to the team rather than being volunteers or self-selected as you might have in a coaching group. So they have different generational approaches to the same purposes. And so when we're looking at meetings, one thing that might enhance the experience is making it, quote, not a meeting. Uh, and what do I mean by that? We still have to uh, get get to our goals and objectives of the meetings, but we could make it more like a coaching group with more questions rather than answers, less direction. Um, more exploring rather than lecturing or, or exactly. being didactic. Yeah. yeah. And um, the millennials are the least likely to pay attention in meetings and about half of them believe it's important to do so. The other half thinks it's not so important to pay attention. Hmm. Now, we still consider meetings, uh, we still consider multitasking in meetings rude or side conversations or working on your computer. But it's an, there's an interesting work around the millennials have, and they have told me this. You know, I could be on my computer reading email, but I can also say I'm taking notes. So they can be present and not present. So we really have to engage the people whose approach is like I've described, engage them in the meeting in a way that forces them to interact rather than passively tune out or, or just listen. Um, for meetings, if we could vary the venue, sometimes alternate in-person and virtual meetings if most meetings have been in-person. Each generation gets a little of what they prefer. And it's also important to clarify the agenda to the meeting and stick to it so that people don't feel like, well, I thought I was coming to um, a 20-minute meeting about ABC and it turned into an hour meeting about everything. Right. So there needs to be a common thread. And the coach acts as the synthesizer. And that that's 
one of the terms that I have come to see is important to describe to people who need to pull together a variety of information into a cohesive whole that is uh, basically efficient. So the person running the meeting needs to be a synthesizer, and the people who are contributing need to synthesize their thoughts so that they're not rambling. Excellent stuff. I mean, just helping to see it through each lens and each perspective. How have you been using this information about the different generations and what their lens is in helping, let's say, leaders um, be more effective leaders? Well, there's a couple of different ways. In in a group connection, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, I will do workshops or presentations for an organization that basically shares these insights, but we make it interactive. So they are already interacting within the workshop, but it's a group setting. Then we get to having individual conversations or coaching conversations, and mostly it evolves by example. In other words, um, you know, what happened yesterday? What was a conversation that was challenging? What Mm -hmm. kind of decision was difficult to get to? And then we immediately move to how did the other person envision it? Well, Usually, my client, the person I'm talking to, knows exactly how he or she feels about that interaction, but it takes a little bit of probing and a little bit of insight and maybe moving back to some of these things about both behavioral style, motivators, and generational traits to try to put yourself in the other guy's shoes and you don't have to change your expectations or even the information that you're relaying, but how you relay it, it can be very, very different. And, you know, as coaches, we know, for example, that asking a question is very different than making a proclamation. Right. And helping our clients understand that can go miles to uh, bridging some of the communication gaps that might be occurring between leaders in one generation and a team in another or, and then that can go in any direction. Uh, I certainly know that there can be leaders who are in the younger generations leading the older generations as well. I know that you've got some resources that you're going to, um, be sharing. So um, I'm excited about that. You said you've got several articles that people can access about the research you've done and, and different information about generational change. So that link will be available on my resource, resource page so that people can access your plethora of information. Well, thank you. It's all at coachnet.com, and uh, there's a whole list there that people can respond to. That is so generous of you to share that. Thank you so much. Judy, thank you for spending time with us today, sharing this incredible information that you have, and I know that you've been able to apply it over and over again with your work with organizations and individuals. you, you are an incredible resource for us, so thank you for that. Well, the world keeps changing, and we stay curious. So when I talk about this a year from now, we'll have some new stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much. My pleasure. 
I hope you enjoyed revisiting that interview as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Judy is definitely a legend in the world of coaching. And you can learn more about Judy at coachnet.com. Now, be sure to join the show again next week. We're going to have a special episode for the 4th of July with Dr. Jay Howard, a veteran who coaches vets on transition and celebrating the independence of our country. I think we need to celebrate what veterans bring to our country as well. Be sure to visit starcoachshow.com to visit any of our past episodes, as well as sign up for our ongoing book giveaway. Our book that is currently in the book giveaway is Jungle, A Journey to Peace, Purpose, and Freedom by Cindy Henson, who was our guest in episode 81, and she talked to us about coaching clients through overwhelm. If you're enjoying the show, I would ask you to leave a rate and review on iTunes. Every review we get increases the visibility of the show, brings more listeners to the show, and more expert guests to the show as well. So until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fabulous week.